If you have your Bibles this morning, we are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 15. We've been journeying through uh, this Gospel, the life of Jesus, investigating His life as we go. As you turn in your Bibles, I would like to say, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are so honored you're here. Uh, in your bulletin is a, a little tab there. Uh, it has a place for you to fill out some information. We just love to have a record of your visit with us. So glad that you could be with us. If you could fill that out, there's a box on the way out, a black box there. If you could drop that in there, we'd be appreciative of that. End of your visit. Luke chapter 15. We've been walking with Jesus through his ministry. He's in the last part of his ministry now, as we have been traveling through probably the last few months of his ministry here, as we've been walking through. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he's on his way to the cross. And as Luke has recorded this, Luke doesn't really deal with chronological time. He just takes us to different areas as we go along here. And he now decides to kind of focus more on Jesus' teaching. In the next several chapters here, we're going to look at some parables that Jesus taught and what they mean for us and how they apply to us. And today we're doing that. We're going to look at two of Jesus' parables this morning because both of them apply to the same topic and apply with what Jesus wants to share this morning. And so Jesus is in another area and a group of people come around him and he shares this teaching and Luke wants us to see what Jesus has for us today. Before we get into that, let me ask you a question, just something for you to think about here. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer, as a person who is a Christian, I'm just curious in your life, don't answer out loud, but think to yourself here, what type of people, what type of people or who do you spend your time with? Who, who do you, for lack of a better term, hang out with? Who do you uh, in, involve your life with? Would you say that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, the people that I hang out with, well, they're only Christians. I really just have a good group of Christians. I hang out with them. That's all I really uh, do there. Or would you say mostly Christians? I have, mo you know, most of my time is here in church or I'm, I'm around in Christian groups and around other believers there. Uh, but I do have a few, a few friends, a few acquaintances that are, are non-believers. Or maybe you would say, um, I only hang out with Christians on Sunday and I don't, I don't want to hang out with, the with you the rest of the week. Uh, you know, I try as, as little bit as possible. Either way there. Um, and, and so what type of people do you spend your time with? And maybe I'll change this question around and ask you this. What type of people would you not spend time with? What type of people would you go, hey, this is not my crowd, this is not my group. As a follower of Jesus Christ, would you just say, hey, I'm not going to hang out with any sinners. Anyone that I know is a sinner, I'm not hanging out with them. As the old cliche statement goes, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with those who do. Right? Yeah. That's my fundy roots back uh, coming out there. This was one of our, that was, we, that was a slogan we actually had. No, I'm kidding. Anyways. Uh, but maybe you don't uh, hang out with certain people where you decide that. Um, maybe I should change the question to this. Who, who should we as believers hang out with? Who should we be around? Who should we uh, spend our time with? Obviously, we need to be with other believers to be built up, but, but what does that mean? As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to deal with that today. That's what Jesus wants us to address, wants us to think about as we go. And so Luke brings us to a teaching of Jesus today, a parable that he's going to share. Now, Jesus is in a public place. He is sitting at a table. He is eating. And interestingly enough, he's eating with, as Luke describes here, Sinners and tax collectors. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that sinners are bad, but tax collectors are the worst. 
right? That's almost a dirty word in their language. He's sitting there. The Pharisees come in. The scribes come in. They gather around the table, and Jesus has this interchange with them that we're going to see. So look at Luke 15, chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawn near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes, well, at least they're consistent, grumbled and said... This man receives sinners and eats with them. They were distraught. They were angry. Jesus was supposed to be a rabbi. They were frustrated. And they said, this guy who's supposed to be so good, loves God and all this kind of stuff, look at the people he hangs out with. In other words, can I put it the way that they would say it? I would never be caught hanging out. With those peoples. But before we even get into that, can I bring you to a phrase that I think is absolutely astonishing to me? It's the first part of that verse. Did you don't 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 breeze over that? Did you read that? It says, now the tax collectors and sinners, look what it says. We're all drawing near. They were drawn to Jesus. They, Jesus didn't necessarily seek them out, they sought him out. And guess what? He said, Come on, right? He didn't go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, no, come on. But I think it's amazing. Think about this. I think it's amazing. Jesus, the Holy Son of God, perfect in every way, absolutely sinless. Hard, listen, hard on sin. Jesus was hard on sin. He didn't hold back. He didn't uh, put her around the bush, if you will. He said it how it was. He said it plain, never soft on sin. But he was sinless in all of this, always preaching the truth, always teaching the truth, not holding back. But these sinners, these tax collectors, can can I put it this way? The worst of the worst, we might look at them as being prostitutes, Drug addicts, homosexuals, whatever group you want to put as elevating to a high group of sin in your mind, in your category, every single one of those, we would go, oh my goodness, but Jesus says, no, come. Not only did he say come, but they were comfortable being with him. Isn't that amazing? They were comfortable being with him. Why? Why? Because Jesus says, oh, do whatever you want. God loves you anyways. No problem. What, you know? No. Because Jesus called them on their sin. Jesus told them what was sinful. Jesus told them what was wrong. He did it, though, in such a way that showed them such love, such grace, such mercy, with such truth that they were still drawn to him. What an amazing picture. What an amazing... They, they, they saw him and they were drawn to him listen jesus never avoided the sinner he never looked across the room and go oh that's someone i need to be away from he never kept himself out of a place where sinners were known to congregate he was always with the group he was always around and they came around him now very important he never participated in their sin right He was there, but he never participated in their sin. He never held back what was right or what was wrong. He made sure that he was 
where the sinners were, and he was available to the sinners. Can I put this in terms that we would recognize today? Some of these things are a little bit taboo for us today. You know where Jesus would be if he was hanging out uh, during the week? He would be in the bar. <clears throat> Jesus in the bar? Can you imagine some Christians driving down the street and Jesus comes walking out of a bar? Right? Jesus would be where the sinners congregated. He would be where the party was, where the liquor flowed and the things that we think are so horrible and bad and simple. And they are. He would be there. He'd be at the sports event. He would be in the places where the sinners would congregate. But he would be there and he would not participate in their sin. He would regularly expose them to their sins. Didn't shy around them, but they were glad that he was there. He showed them love. He extended to them mercy and grace. He shared with them how they can find forgiveness and freedom. And it's so amazing. It blows my mind. They loved him for it. They loved him for it. They may not have changed, but they, they loved him for it. I, I love, as we, as we walk through Jesus' life, have you not seen this pattern? Remember Zacchaeus? Remember Levi? Remember Levi? Levi, you're going to be my disciple. He was a tax collector, the worst of the worst. And guess what? New guy, new guy cooks dinner, right? Isn't that what he said? They went over to Levi's house, had the party. And who did Levi invite? Guess what? Sinners and tax collectors. And who was in the middle of the group? Now, come on, you know who was there. All right, you're with me. <laughs> Good, right? Okay. But how many of us as Christians would fall over faint? To think if another believer was even in that midst. And where was Jesus? You see, can I tell you a truth? This is hard. Sometimes as Christians, I believe we are too worried about our quote-unquote testimony before other Christians than our testimony before the lost. I think we're too worried about what other Christians are going to think about us, what the, the pious Christians will think when we are in those areas. And I think that they're too, we're too worried about that, that we won't even put ourselves in the place where sinners are. Who are we called as believers to go to? That's right, the lost. Guess what? If you're going to go to the lost, you've got to be where the lost are. The Pharisees, though, here they come in, the religious, those groups that we're telling you about, they were too holy to be around Christians. I'm sure you don't know anybody that's holier than thou, do you? Right? There's no way we're going to hang around these types of people. They were too concerned with, their, with the way that they looked and, and who they were, and they didn't want to be with them. It was hard enough for a sinner to come into their presence, let alone them be hanging out with sinners, and they came walking in, and there was Jesus sitting at the table, eating, conversing, fellowshipping with sinners and tax collectors, and what do they do? Jesus, I can't believe who you say you are. I can't believe you're hanging out with these people. They complained, they grumbled, they were upset with Jesus about it. Now, here's what's so interesting to me. You talk to the Pharisee, or you talk to the religious person, and you would say, well, don't you want them to come to Christ? Don't you want them to be a part of the religious group, if you will? And they say, absolutely. 
I want them to be a part. I want them to come in. I want them to come and be a part of us. But first, they need to clean themselves up, get rid of their sin, make sure that they don't deal with the, the habits and the problems that I don't struggle with, and make sure they're clean and ready to come in. And then, and only then, we will bring them to Jesus, and we will help them out. Guess what? That's not found anywhere in here. Jesus says, come as you are. Come as you are. Jesus doesn't expect us to be cleaned up before we come to Him. Jesus comes, we come to Him for Jesus to clean us up. But we as Christians get it backwards. We get it uh, wrong. We, we, we think about this. Um, you know, I, I just said, well, let me clarify it a little bit more. As soon as they start acting like I think they should act dressed as I think they should, give up the vices that I don't struggle with, once that happens and once that takes place, then sure, I'll take them to Jesus. Well, Jesus has a different thought about this. He thinks a little bit different about this. And he tells a little bit of a parable, parable about this in verse number three. He says, he says to them, the Pharisees that have been grumbling, complaining, he looks right at him and says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one who is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Jesus gives him this parable, goes right for the heart. As a matter of fact, what he does to make this really something important actually goes for their wallet. Right? You get someone's attention or their, their money purse. How many of you know that when he talks about this, these sheep, they understood this, these sheep weren't pets. Right? They weren't around just because someone had a, uh, wanted a bunch of sheep in their house. No, these sheep were money. These sheep were a way of living. This is how the man made his livelihood. And each sheep represented income and financial stability in his house. And just to lose one was very, very costly. But you say to yourself, still, he has 99, one went away, and he has 99 other sheep. Why in the world would he abandon the 99 to go for the one lost sheep? And it's very simple. And I want you to hear this. Every sheep was equally of important value to the shepherd. Listen to me. There is not one person created that is not as equally important as the next we like to put people in our categories we like to look at people and go hey he's not he's not as good as me or she's not as good as me or i wouldn't do that or i couldn't do that and uh someone else will go to them or not no every single person that god has created he loves and every single person he desires a relationship with and every single person he has called us church to go after that's what he's saying He's saying, listen, the 99, we're safe together as a group. The potential for this lost one is to be lost forever. And so I'm going after this lost one. Of course, we understand that the parable is telling us that Jesus is saying these sheep represent people. And every person, listen, every person is of great value. I just said it, but would you hear me today? I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care what you've dealt with. I don't care what sins you've committed. I don't care what has happened to your life. You are of great value to God. 
He loves you exactly where you are. He doesn't like your sin. He doesn't like the bad choices you're making because they destroy you and they hurt you. He wants you to come to Him. He loves you exactly where you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to change you and give you a better life. But know this. Know this. God Himself puts value on you. And that's amazing. And when the shepherd finds him, I love this picture. I love the picture of throwing him over the shoulder and, and comforting the sheep. And I've got it, it's taken care of, I'll take care of this. But then he says something so absolutely amazing. In verse number seven, he says, let me tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The 99 were fine. They were already in the fold. They were already okay. This one who left, this one who was gone, this one who was lost, that person that comes back, there's more joy in heaven. There's more excitement in heaven. You know what that tells me? Two things. Number one, heaven's a party in place. Isn't that good? They party up there, man. The sheep is lost, and once he's found, they have a celebration. They have a great time. They have a lot of fun. And that also means this, that God is pursuing you. God is after you because he loves you. Listen, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, the day that you accepted him as Lord and Savior, do you know this? All of heaven parted. All of heaven rejoiced. All of heaven celebrated you were once lost, but now you're found. And you know what? God desires that that party never stops. God desires that every minute of every day, every second of every day, lives are coming to Him. People are being found. Souls are being saved. What an amazing statement. What an amazing picture. As a sinner, you are against God, yet He comes. For you, And if you choose to accept His grace, all of heaven rejoices. And Jesus continues. He says, let me go a little bit farther. Let me take this just one step further. Let me give you another little story. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Woman has 10 silver coins. Now you say to yourself, what's the big deal about these silver coins? They're coins, okay? So let's, let's picture 10 quarters, all right? Could you handle it? If you lost one quarter, you'd be all right, wouldn't you? Nine other quarters, that'd be good, okay? All right? So why worry about cleaning the house for one silly little quarter? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that whether or not it was just finding it because she lost this coin or whatever, most importantly, or, or more probably is, this was a special group of coins that in that day and age they strung together as ten coins and the, the women would wear as kind of a headdress there and it was a picture, a representation of being married. Now women, let me ask you this. How many of you, if you lost your wedding ring, would tear your house to shreds to try to find it? Do you see how valuable that is? You see, Christ is giving a picture here of how valuable those things are. How valuable people are. She loses it, goes out of her mind, cleans the house, tears it apart. 
And I promise you the last place she looks is where she finds it. Right? And once she finds it, she's so excited, she's so elated that she calls all of her friends over, come over, let's celebrate, let's have fun. And once again, we see this beautiful picture of heaven as he says in verse number 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All of heaven erupts, all of heaven is excited. So why is Jesus telling us these parables? Why is he saying this to the Pharisees? Why is he saying this to us? I want to give you two simple observations today. And that is this, and I want you to hear me this morning. The first is this, God pursues you. God pursues you. I don't care who you are, where you are, what you're doing, what you've dealt with in your life. God is after you. God is for you. God wants you. Have you ever had someone in your life reject you? That's horrible. It hurts. But God says, you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. I will not reject you. I'm longing for you to, can you, can you get the picture? The God of the universe is longing for you to come. We see in both of these, the shepherd and the woman, both of those are representative of God. And what do they do? They search, they go, they seek, they, they go after the sheep and the coin. What a beautiful picture of God's pursuit of us. If you're saved today, you're saved because God pursued you. If you're not saved today, listen to me very carefully. God is pursuing you. Now you say, I don't know that I really like the thought of God pursuing me. Can I tell you why that's so exciting? Because God isn't pursuing you because he wants to get you. God is pursuing you because he wants to love you. You see, you don't know all the bad things I've done in my life, all the things that I've done. I don't have to know. God knows, and you know what he says? He says, I'll wipe all of that away if you'll just come to me. I'm coming after you. I want you in my life. I want to be in your life. What a statement of the value that God ascribes to you. You know, this world tells you you're nothing. The world tells you you're just a number. The world tells you you're not any good. You just fill in, but God says, no, I know your name. I know who you are. Yes, you may not be my child right now, but I ascribe value to you. I ascribe so much value to you that even in your sinful state, I sent my son to die and bear your sins on his body for you. That's how much value I ascribe to you. The truth is we are filthy sinners, all of us. We, in and of ourselves, have no value or worth next to a holy God. However, through God's absolute amazing grace, He decided to put value on us despite our sin, despite our wrong and bad choices, despite everything. God says, I love you and I pursue you and I want a relationship with you. If you know Jesus today, then you should be praising Him that He pursued you. If you don't know Jesus today, please know that He is for a relationship. But the second thing I want to show you here and I want, want us to get is the fact that not only is God pursuing, but how God chooses to pursue the lost. Do you know how God chooses to pursue the lost? Church, He uses us. Isn't that amazing? God could do it Himself. God could take care of this Himself. He's the ultimate creator of the universe and everything. He could take care of it in one split second. But he says, no, church, I, I have you here. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be involved with this. I want you to be a part of my ministry. I want you to enjoy and experience the excitement of someone who was on their way to hell, now placed on the road to heaven. 
I want you to experience that in your life. Not only when you have accepted him, but I, I want you to experience when someone else does this as well. Listen, if Jesus purposely goes where sinners are, are you ready? You knew I was going to get here, didn't I? Who's squirming in their seat now? If Jesus willingly went where sinners were, where are we as his children to go? We must be where sinners are. We must be where the lost is. Jesus says, gives us the great commission, go into all the world. Go into all the world. He gives us the great commandment, love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and love others as yourself. Listen, church. If God loved you in your sinful state and pursued you, how much more should we do the same? If God loved you and pursued you, how much more should we do the same? Listen to me very carefully. If you don't hear anything else, listen to this. Believer, how did God pursue you? I'll tell you exactly how God pursued you. He brought someone into your life who overlooked your sin and your sinfulness and shared with you God's amazing grace gospel that's how god pursued you every single one of you were saved because of someone in your life bringing you the good news of jesus christ you say well it was my mom well it was your mom as a child it was my dad well it was your dad it was a friend it was someone else but someone someone had to come to you and give you the good news of jesus christ and church that is us we must go take the good news must if we don't no one else does if we don't those souls are lost because god has only plan a and plan a is church that we go we have a mission field right out our doors right out our doors where we must be with those who are lost just a few weeks ago we studied the parable of the great banquet you remember those who were given the invitation said, no, I'm not going to come. And then at the very end, we saw the master of the house saying, go into the highways, into the hedges, and compel them to come in. Go and get them. That's anyone, everyone. Go to the lost. Compel them to come in. Why? Why did the master say that? He says that my house may be filled. God's desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And church, that's our mission. We are to meet that as God has called us to do it. We cannot, listen, listen to me very carefully. We cannot isolate ourselves and win the world of Christ. Do you hear me? We cannot isolate ourselves and win the world to Christ. So God tells us here, God calls us here. We see his pursuit and we see that he calls us to pursuit. To pursue. So as we pursue and as we go, as we've seen what He has for us uh, this, this morning, I want to leave you with this thought. Is that we are called to go. Not to participate. Not to be involved in the sin. But we are called to go where the lost are. So that we can be Jesus to them so that we can take the gospel to them listen to me very carefully the world isn't going to come through our doors willingly god says that romans 3 
No one in the world seeks God on their own. So we, church, are called to go. We are called to go. So let me leave you with this last statement. Be with the lost so you can reach the lost. Be with the lost so you can reach the lost. Will you stand with me in God's house today? Oh God, you have a mission and a plan for our church. You have a people in this community right outside our doors, Lord. Right outside our doors that need you. That, Lord, in and of themselves won't come into our doors. But, Lord, we as followers of you need to go out to reach them. And, Lord, yes, while it's good for us to go and ask the lost to come and be in our services, that's wonderful, that's fine. You've not called us to invite people to church. you called us to win them to you. And, God, your heart's desire is for every believer to share the good news of Jesus Christ so that souls will be saved. And, God, I pray that for our church. I pray that for our people. I pray that we will live right. I pray that we will uh, be right in front of others. I pray that even in the midst of sinful situations, we will be Jesus in those situations, that we might draw lost to you, that you might through us do the work of leading and seeing souls saved. Oh God, use our church in a mighty way. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.